What is good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Defenders of the Bank. Sitting across from me today is my co-host, the Christian Philly Philemon. Rocking my 99 jersey. And I don't mean Gretzky, the great one. I mean Dio, the great one. That is right. The number of the beast. Very, very excited to have Adama Diamande make his presence known today. We will talk about that in just a little bit. And of course, I am the scarf, J.R. Liebert. Very excited to be back with you guys. And if you can't tell, we are much happier than on our last episode. Of course, the one nothing debacle at Bank of California Stadium, knocking us out of the Gold Cup. But just 46 and a half hours later, Philly, we kick it off again, this time in beautiful, the air quotes were being used there, 91 degree, 47% humidity, BBVA Arena. So glad that our team can touch down in beautiful Houston, Texas for an episode we are calling Orange is Not the new black. So we're going to go into our episode rather quickly today. We want to keep it short and sweet talking about the fantastic win as we stay the best in the West and And the the best best in the MLS. We feast on the East and we best the West just like we did tonight. Let's talk about our episode. We are going to go over this day in LAFC history. After that, of course, we'll give you our match recap against the Dynamo, and then it'll be time for our Wait What What? segment. And then in just seven days, we get to travel down the 110 freeway to beautiful Carson, California, to a quaint little park tucked away next to a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a strip mall to go ahead and play the Carson Galaxy. I can't wait for that matchup. I've got my oxygen mask ready. It's going to be one heck of a matchup. I I can't wait. But let's live in the now, Scarf. (laughs) We'll talk about the future later on. That's right. That's right. That's right. So let's get into a little bit of this day in LAFC history. We are recording this just about a half hour after the game ended on Friday, July 12th. And we did have a little bit of LAFC history. On July 12th of last year, LAFC announced the official transfer of Omar Gaber to Pyramids FC in the Egyptian Premier League. So that marked the end of the Omar Gaber experiment here with LAFC. Of course, that was somebody who Bob Bradley had coached earlier in his time in the Egyptian League. So that was kind of cool that we had Omar Gaber. Also tomorrow, many of you will be listening to this tomorrow. That's 713. And on 7-13-18 last year, we officially loaned out Luis Buba Lopez to OCSC. I remember them. They were our affiliates for exactly one season. Then they lost to OCFC this year in the Open Cup. And finally, rounding it out, 7-14-19. But wait, that hasn't happened yet. That's right. We want to let you guys all know, again, if you haven't signed up to be a spectator or even to have a team put together... This Sunday, Tyler Miller is hosting his second annual beach soccer tournament and fundraiser in Santa Monica. The fundraiser benefits the Austin Everett Foundation to fight childhood cancer. And if you guys know anything about me and my scarf collection, you know it all pretty much stemmed from being able to raise as much money to kick childhood cancer. So if you are not coming out this Sunday, make some plans, change some plans, get down there to the beach, 7-14-19, that is this Sunday for Tyler Miller's second annual beach soccer tournament and fundraiser in Santa Monica, and that is the end of this day in LAFC history. All right, let's get into the match recap. It seemed as if only yesterday that Scarf and I gave you episode 44 of our podcast. Oh, wait. Almost. It was. What a difference 46 hours makes. Because of amazing schedule on the behalf of the USOC committee, we go from a brutal game in which we lost to the pesky pine trees of Portland only to have one day of rest, that day being a travel day, in which our team had to board a flight and head down to Texas in order to resume regular MLS play. 
Unreal. We haven't fully digested the hangover of that unfortunate loss at Bank of California Stadium, have we, Scarf? No, we have not. Again, still very frustrated that we are going to have to wait until at least October to bring home our first set of hardware, which we're hoping will be the supporter shield. Then again, of course, followed by the MLS Cup. But we were hoping for the domestic double for both the Open Cup and the MLS Cup. And it was a little bit of a rude awakening for us. The one nothing loss to Portland. But you know what? Nothing like 48 hours to help get over the hangover. But Philly, we did not start out this game like we were at all ready to be playing back in the MLS. No, and not, not at all. It seemed as if it was going to be a remake of the, the, the Portland game. I mean, they advance, and the thought of that makes me want to lick the bottom of my shoe rather than drink from it, a.k.a. I want to gag myself. Let's move on. Can we, though? The first 28 minutes, I didn't think so. I said this during Heart of LAFC's live show the other day. Look, there are no such thing in life as losses. Only learning experiences. We interchange the meaning behind the negativity of one L and use it to our advantage. Of course, I'm still pissed, but you always learn from your mistakes rather than your successes, and LAFC is no different. During an interview conducted by Mark Anthony Kay, and as referenced on Angels on Parade, he was quoted as saying, no excuses. No excuses when asked about the turnaround. No excuses, Scarf. What a badass. If this truly is the mindset of this squad, then we really shouldn't have too much to worry about. These boys are warriors, and they rode high in Houston. I was super pumped when I read about that interview. Now, LAFC, despite their loss in the Open Cup, we said this before, remained the best in the West and... Best in the MLS. We feast on the East and... We best the West. If you're getting tired of hearing me say that, then you obviously don't love this team as much as we do. There will come a time where we're going to have to shove that statement, but not this season. As we deposit the loss to Portland deep in the back burners of our hippocampus, we have to remember our last actual MLS game was the destruction of Vancouver. We won 6-1, to one. so technically we don't have a blemish or a losing streak as far as the MLS is concerned. Our last two games, we won them with a cumulative score of 11-2. to two. Carlos Vela, the stud that he is, leads the league with 19 goals and 12 assists. Woo. LAFC leads the Supporters' Shield race still with a record of 13-2-4. Goals for 50. Goals allowed at 16. That is a goal differential of 34 and only slightly lower number than the age of the scarf. Yeah. Our 43 points puts us nine points ahead of our cross-country rivals, the Carson Galaxy. Yes, cross-country. We face them next week. By the way, going to have my oxygen mask, as I said earlier. Can't wait. Houston comes into Friday night's matchup. A nose hair above the playoff line in seventh place in the West. They've played 18 games and have a record of 8-7-3 with most of their losses on the road. BBVA Compass Stadium has been their saving grace for this team because they maintain a 7-0-3 record there. Houston's last match resulted in a 3-2 loss to new resident cellar dwellers, FC Cincinnati. The last time LAFC and Houston met, it was at Bank of California Stadium, October the 12th, Scarf. The infamous rain delay. See, now how I mark that day in LAFC history is I remember that was the day of the Dia de los Muertos scarf. That's right. The hottest scarf that LAFC has ever made. The Dia de los Muertos scarf sold out in part because it was the coolest scarf I think that they've ever made. Shout out to Minus the Galazzo? Well, I mean, that they ever made. Too crazy, They helped me make that one, which I appreciate. But that Dia de los Muertos scarf was unbelievable. And part of the reason why it sold out, everybody was huddled in that gift shop for about an hour and 40 minutes, and they were all looking at that scarf going, well, I need one of those. Well, I need one of those. Well, it turns out I only got one of those, but I'm really happy that I did Awesome job there on the Dia de los Muertos scarf. But yes, that's the infamous rain delay. The World Series on the Jumbotron. I watched my boy Yasiel Puig striking out on the Jumbotron, and it was our friend Al who decided to turn it off right before Justin Turner ended the inning. I believe he grounded out. That's what I remember about the game. But the other great thing is that Carlos Vela also had two goals and two assists. We had goals by Dio and Walker Zimmerman. And, man, does it bring us back to better times. But a lot of those names that I just mentioned, Philly, would not start this game for LAFC. No, but one of those names did end up having an impact. Look, coming off the Open Cup loss that we had to the Pine Trees, 
I couldn't help but be reminded of the fact that Houston was the team to end our hopes for the hardware last year. This was the infamous matchup where Scarf and Scarfette were at the Weezer concert, leaving Panda and I to watch LAFC fight and claw their way back, powered by a Diego Rossi hat trick. But that was also the game in which the general, Laurent Simon and Latif Blessing, missed a couple of crucial 11-meter kicks that led to our exit from the tourney. What a better team to take out our frustrations from the Portland game than the Dynamo. Listen, I would also like to say I did shout in a room crowded full of people that were watching the opening band for Weezer. I forgot that we were in public while I was watching that game. And when Laurent Simon missed that free kick, it was as if I yelled fire in a crowded room. Everybody turned, stared right at me, and I forgot, oh, wait, there are about a 1,000 people here that are watching a concert as opposed to me watching the game on my phone with Nina. So, yeah, my bad about that. I lost it after Simon missed that free kick again. Had he made that free kick, we move on to the next round. But look. Like say it ain't said, so. Ah, like, you like what I did there. Like huh? you Weezer said earlier, so. no, I like ah, that. Ah, but ah, like ah. you said earlier, I'm going to live in the now, and let's talk about the starting lineup, the starting lineup for your black and gold LAFC. Welcome back to Tyler Miller. Miller the killer. Look, I do not believe that any player should lose their starting spot because of duty for their country. So I'm really happy that Tyler Miller right back in goal. We're going to talk about how he looked in the first 20, 25 minutes in a little bit. Oh, yeah. But I really am glad also that Bob Bradley listens to our podcast because one of the things that we had talked about is that I was hoping that we would rest Carlos Vela, we would rest Jordan Harvey, and that we would rest Stephen Betashore. That was not the case. Beta was in the starting lineup, and I have to be honest, the hamstring's still not looking 100%. We love Stephen Betashore here on this podcast and in the black and gold for LAFC, but it was Beta, Tristan Blackman, Dayon Jakovic, and Mohamed El Munir to Boy, round he out provide the back line. The match. Oh, yeah, he did. And this was not the Beatles. This was more like a Beatles cover band that had like Ringo Starr playing for them <laughs> on drums with Beta back there. It was definitely a different defensive lineup, and it certainly looked it. We had Mark Anthony Kay, one of our regular starters, starting there in midfield, and he played a great game today. Peter Lee Vassell, so excited that we got to see Peter Lee in the midfield. And Lee Wynn, longtime MLS veteran. Again, in my opinion, one of the five or ten greatest midfielders to play in MLS. The guy has 50 goals. The guy has 50 assists. And he, he went to Indiana University. <laughs> Go Hoosiers! <laughs> there you go. He is legit back there I just feel like he's not a starting caliber midfielder when we've got our midfield going of course and then on the offensive end we get to start out our podcast playing name that Perez Philly name the Perez that was in our starting lineup today um going through my crystal ball um Josh Josh would be it Josh Perez in the starting lineup in the middle, playing the role of Adama Diamande was Adama Diamande. That was really nice to see Adama Diamande get another start there. And the return of the Fito Zelaya experience. Congratulations for number 22 getting his first MLS start. Had to be a big moment there for Fito. He was amped up to take the opening kick. On our bench, of course, is San Pablo, Pablo Cisniega, Jordan Harvey and Eddie Segura, two of our regular backline starters, Latif Blessing, Christian Ramirez, Carlos Vela, and Diego Rossi, rounding out the 18. Philly, what about Houston, Dynamo, and their starting lineup? In goal, they had Willis. Their backline consisted of Lundquist, Lundquist, not the keeper for the New York Rangers. Figueroa, not a street, not name, a street name. Struna, De La Garza, Garcia, Martinez, Vera, Kyoto, Manotas, and a player who we saw in the Gold Cup, Elise. Albert Elise, who I maintain is probably based on his physical skill and ability, one of the more disappointing players this season in the MLS. He did almost nothing for Honduras in their Gold Cup run. Of course, Honduras able to pair both Albert Elise and Minor Figueroa, both from this Houston Dynamo team. 
But man, Elise, he is so physically gifted out there. But we saw in this game several times just plenty of opportunities where he might have been able to put one in the back of the net, but just couldn't. You got one of my favorite players of all time in the 18. I honestly thought he had retired Philly to Marcus Beasley. And you got one of your old boys from NYCFC, Tommy Mack. Tommy Mack, who ended up entering the game. That is a player I would not boo. I feel as if Tommy Mack lost a step ever since he cut those long locks of his and rocked that headband that you know, most players in the MLS wouldn't rock, but I'm not here to praise an old flame. I'm here <laughs> to praise the black and gold. So let's get into the matchup scarf. We did not look very good coming out of the gate. Dio had a shot immediately. Djokovic had a little bit of fancy footwork going in, but in the third minute, WTF, Kyoto Protocol, Breaks Beta's ankles. And Miller looked so awkward trying to stop that shot. It's like he tried to block that shot with some kind of a weird, like, chicken wing kind of a situation. It was like he was throwing, like, a weird elbow at a punching bag. But right off the bat, we didn't look good. It was the second fastest goal scored against us in our young club's history. The first one being in the first minute against Seattle. I'm sure you all remember that game. It ended in a tie. Yeah, but Philly, they almost had one in the first minute in this game, too. It was the crossbar saving a goal. Look, Tyler Miller, and we'll talk about this a couple of times, but in the first 20, 25 minutes or so, Tyler Miller did not look good. It was a beautiful stop by the crossbar on that play. 15 seconds in, Albert Elise, the guy that we were talking about, bangs one off the crossbar, and you're absolutely right. You know, this is why I still don't think the hamstring is 100%, Philly. Romel Kyoto, I mean, Beta, he hit the ground there. The ball deflected off a defender. I think Tyler Miller saw the ball all the way, set up for it, but it's kind of like when a pitcher in Major League Baseball, he calls for the curveball, but the guy decides to throw the fastball high and tight. He just couldn't react enough. And, of course, there's the goal. We're down one nothing with three or four minutes gone, and you and I look at each other and go, uh-oh, this might be a long game without a doubt and you know we walked in not thinking that this would be a game we kind of wrote it off and not in a positive sense not like we did against RSL in the playoffs last year we would have been happy to have escaped with a tie we didn't have very many expectations going into this game and the way I live my life I love to set the bar as low as possible (laughs) I think negatively the cynical New Yorker I am about everything because if something bad happens I'm prepared for it if something good happens well then hey that's a plus. But no, we did not look good. I mean, six minute, there nearly was a second goal oh, yeah. by Houston. K missed marking his man. And Manotas drilled one of the left side of the goal, stretching out Tyler Miller. Our back line looked like a JV team in the MLS. It, it wasn't very good. And we talked about this. And now after seeing the mistake that Cisniega made, When our keepers come that far out of the box, I was worried. You brought up a good point during the match. It was like he doesn't trust the back line, Tyler Miller. The chemistry seemed a little bit off. You thought that he was clearly looking for Walker Zimmerman, but he was playing with a group of people that he hadn't really played for. And quite honestly, Miller hadn't really played in a while anyway because he saw absolutely no minutes for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, we had a lot of things coming together with our back five, including our goalie. You had a set of four I'd be shocked if these four defenders ever even played on the same back line in training or practice. You have Dayon, who just came back from the Las Vegas Lights. You have Mohamed El Munir, who's been getting some time and looking pretty good, by the way, in doing it, but not a lot of run in MLS action, at least not until he comes on as a substitute for a defender, and he usually presses forward quite a bit. You had one regular in Steven Betashore who didn't look like himself yet because I don't he's think he's getting burned a lot on healthy. the left flank. And then you had Tristan Blackman, who I felt he was kind of playing in between today as well. Not sure where he should go. And with that, I mean, we saw, I don't know, four or five times in the first half, Tyler Miller coming way out. In fact, a couple of times where he even whiffed on the ball and won. We'll talk about a little bit later with Mohamed El Munir. But you're absolutely right, Philly. 20 minutes in, 25 minutes in to this game. Even, honestly, we'll talk about up until the 28th minute. Let's go through a couple of things that happened. First, 22nd minute. 
Albert Elise gets behind the defense again. Cool. Muhammad El Munir pressing way too high. A good save by Tyler Miller. But that led to another set piece. A corner, an unmarked man in the back, headed over the crossbar, which could have very easily gone in the back of the net. 26 minutes, just three minutes later, that is our wait. What? what moment of the match? Mohamed El Munir. Are you kidding me? Look, I love watching Albert Elise play. I've talked about it. He's gifted. He's big. But he is no match for Mohamed El Munir. Philly had to have been the play of the game. Without a doubt, because the first 24 minutes, we looked as good as the city of Carson does on a sunny day. I'm painting you an image right now. Hopefully, it's going the direction that I assume it's going. I don't need to really, like, alliterate that. I'm sure you know where it is. But Mohamed El-Munir, he pulled a Randy Orton out of nowhere. He RK-Munir'd Elise (laughs) and stopped a goal, an inevitable goal. That truly was our wait-what moment. He made my Christmas card list scarf. (laughs) <laughs> I don't even miss Joao Matinho anymore. Between El Manier's goal a couple of games ago, that tackle, Joao who? Wow, what a save. I think, yeah. I think my favorite part was if you watch the game or check it out on the highlights, I mean, it was an absolutely incredible play. They both go sliding into the back of the net, and you have big six foot four Albert Elise kind of looking down on the ground behind him going, wait a minute, there was a guy there? What just happened? What an incredible effort by Mohamed El Munir. Shades of Jordan Harvey in our last game who made a great play. But you've got two of the best moments of the year so far supplied by Mohamed El Munir. Obviously, and again, there was someone on Twitter and, and we talked about it on our last podcast. It was, what was it, Mohamed Maradona with that uh-huh. incredible run up the left side, juking out two or three defenders, putting the shot in on goal. How that goal, by the way, was not nominated for goal of the week. MLS, there's a little bit of a West Coast bias happening here again. Are you guys all asleep at the wheel? By the time we play our games, that was incredible. But by far the best play of this game. And, and still, I didn't feel like that helped organize our defense at all. Just two minutes later, mm. Tyler Miller, he kind of has to slap the ball away fly from swat. Albert Elise again. Tyler did not look good, but Dayon Jakovic saving Tristan Blackman and Tyler Miller on that last play too. It was a solid game from Dayon Jakovic. I thought he played about as well as any of our four defenders played up until the 28th minute. I thought our defense, I mean, they needed an entire reorganizing on the back line. And then something that we will talk about not once, but twice here on the podcast in the 30th minute. No love for our Name That Perez recipient this podcast. Josh Perez, they even went to VAR and the referee looked incredulous. He was like, no, 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 nothing happened. He wasn't taken down in the box. Nothing to see here in the 30th minute. Josh Perez taken down. Yeah, and up to that point, not the greatest 28 minutes of football we've ever seen. Watching the club must have been like what a, what a New England Rev fan feels like or, or an FC Cincinnati fan. It's, it didn't look good. It didn't look like we were poised oh. to do anything. There was one shining moment that RK Munir on that attempt by Elise, but... Not even Scarfette was able to believe this. If she questions something, I believe what she says. She should ref these matches. Scarfette, being the fan that she is, being as knowledgeable as she is, having refed herself would be the best thing to ever happen to the MLS. Don Garber, I know you listen to our podcast, sitting right next to Bob Bradley. <laughs> Hire Scarfette as your chief witness of VAR because who you have right now isn't cutting it. She would absolutely take the league by storm. But anyway, let's move on from that. Josh Perez, ah, whatever. Let's let's get over it. We'll talk about that again. Don't worry. Later on in the podcast, 34th minute. Look, I feel like Philly, we've talked about this a couple of times. We love Stephen Betashore, but he got kind of burnt again on that last ball. Great save by Tyler Miller. 40th minute, another save by Tyler Miller. This is becoming a theme. The defense, kind of a little porous, not something that we would have normally expected. Although, look, if you look at the starting four, again, haven't played that much with each other. 41st minute, though, we had Mark Anthony Kay to Peter Lee Vassell. A long first touch by Dio. Otherwise, he might have had his first goal 
a little bit earlier. <laughs> I like what you did there. But Philly, it's stoppage time or extra time after the 45th minute. 45 plus two, Lee win. And I get to use this term, the hockey assist, because it exists in the MLS. Peter Lee Vassell to Lee win to whom? This is why you need to sit in your seat or on your couch for the duration of a game. Because had you gone up, the minute the outside line ref pulled up the number, you would have missed something. You're thinking, okay, they're going to go back in a halftime and and Bob's going to tell them something. But no. Number 99, our great one, Adama Diamande. Great saving graces, Batman. Lee win a floater to Dio, who heads it past Willis. Peter Lee gets the hockey assist. And just like that, we go into the half with a draw. Wow, I'm sweating thinking about that. We yelled so freaking loud. Everybody in Culver City heard us today. We scared Alina's dog, Banksy. We were able to watch it with uh, Alina and Michelle. If you we don't know Alina. We scared the Burbank Animal Shelter from Culver <laughs> City. If you don't know Alina over at the foundation table at section 135, right next to where you take all the great pictures with our Falcons from Ken and Jenna and everybody else over there, make sure you check out the foundation table at section 135. But we scared Banksy. We scared Ike, which is Nina's dog. We were jumping up and down. And by the way, the official on the sideline, that's the fourth official. I know that term, the fourth official. Just thought I would throw that out there. And again, going in at halftime, it was awful. We looked terrible for about 46 minutes and 30 seconds. And then Dio makes it all, all right. Coming out of halftime, we got a little substitution. We had Latif. Coming in for Peter Lee Vassell. I thought Peter Lee played okay there in the first half. He had some good passes. He threaded the needle a few times. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think what we saw that Bob wanted a little bit more was actually for someone to hold the ball in that role a little bit and dribble up a little bit further. And one of the things that you and I both know very well that Latif does is he tends to hold that ball just a little bit longer. He likes to dribble. He does like to dribble. And then just four minutes later, What a great run by Josh Perez up the sideline. This is what happens when Josh Perez doesn't get taken down in the box from Lee Wynn off of a great run by Josh Perez. And just like that, we've got a brace for number 99, Adama Dio Monde. What an incredible run. Look, at our starting lineup, when you looked there, there wasn't a lot of offense to be had. With all due respect to Fito and with all due respect to Josh Perez, All Adama Diamande wants to do when he comes into the game, Philly, is to put that ball in the back of the net. And put it in the back of the net, he does quite well. Better than some other people that play that forward position. We won't mention any names. I'm sure you can use your imaginations and realize who we're referring to. But I don't get... I have so many LAFC jerseys. I don't get to wear too many of them often because... I have that Philly jersey, and yeah, I mean, I wear that a lot. Today, I pulled it out of the closet for the first time since last season. My old-school white jersey from last year, my Dio. Yes, my Dio, because this season he goes by Diamande. If you happen to see a Dio jersey and go, oh, that's not what he does. No, that's exactly what he did last season. Right. Wore it today thinking Dio's going to have a great game. Call me. Philly Stradamus. Scarf Stradamus <laughs> is normally the, uh, the fortune teller and the, and the future uh, prophesizer here. But in this case, Philly Stradamus came through because my Dio jersey, baby, which Panda took a picture of and posted on Defenders, came through. Because Dio absolute, scored a brace, baby. Yeah! You absolutely called it, Philly. You came in wearing that Dio jersey. I think I said on Twitter that I thought Peter Lee and Fito would both score a goal today. And we would win it 2 nothing. But you, you say Bob Bradley would right. score a goal, too? No, 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 no. Bob Bradley. I, he was hurt that, from the last game. I was going to say, I'm shot. glad that Bob is okay. He got up pretty quickly after that. Look, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen Carlos Vela go down. I've seen Diego Rossi go down. I've never seen our training staff move as quickly as they did last game. They were shot out of a cannon to get over there to make sure that Bob was okay. But look, I thought now it's two to one. Okay, we're getting our momentum. We're starting to see a little bit of offense here, although most of it was going through Adama Diamande. But look, one of the things that we used to do a lot last season is right after we would score, we'd give up one. And sure enough, Martinez banging one off of the post just two minutes later. And I thought, okay, now Bob wants us to settle down because in the 54th minute, he subbed Diego Rossi in 
for Fito Zelaya. Very rare to see number nine standing over there on the sideline by the fourth official waiting to come into a game. But sure enough, it was number nine for number 22. And just two minutes after that substitution, oh my goodness, Josh Perez taking down in the box again, another no call. We were about to throw stuff at the television, except Nina lives here. So, by the way, we are recording this in beautiful downtown Culver City, the heart of Screenland. We have faces for radio, which is why we're doing this as a podcast and not a live show yet. Although, shout yet. out to our boys, Heart of LAFC. Incredible job on your first live show. That was really cool to be able to watch you guys do that. That was awesome. But, oh, my God, 56 minute, another takedown by Josh Perez. And he looks over at the ref like, are you kidding me i don't get these kind of minutes can i please get a call he is dying to get his first goal as a member of lafc but nothing to be had for josh perez in the 56 minute and i gotta be honest philly there wasn't a whole lot more going on in the game for the next 15 20 minutes or so oh but there was there was we'll talk about elise and we could talk about martinez scarf you and I live in the entertainment capital of the world. Yes. Right around the corner from Hollywood. Burbank is really where all the studios really are for the most part. Culver and City. And we do a lot of Culver our- City called The Heart of Screenland. Sure. This is where The Wizard of Oz was filmed. So many other great films. Sure. Lots of great actors have come through here. I think the guys in Houston were looking for their big break, Philly. Oh, Yeah. Elise and Martinez were looking for Oscars. In reality, their trips and falls and complaints really deserve them the Razzies. For those of you who don't know, Razzies are awards given to poor, and I mean poor, screen acting debuts. I think think Gili set the record for the most Razzies won in a single award show. Gili. Well, that was then. I mean, after this Houston Dynamo game, I think surely Elisa Martinez should be nominated for it, don't you think? Yeah, you know, I I was a swimmer all throughout my high school career and a little bit in college as well, but I was always enamored with our diving team, able to do flips Ah. and tucks and rolls. The Houston diving team on full display, 71st minute, a yellow on Dayon Djakovic for apparently clipping a blade of grass that was near (laughs) Albert Elise. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, That was an absolute non-touch. Albert Elise, that was the best thing he really did all game. And in the 75th minute, the Houston diving team's number one diver, Mr. Martinez, didn't get the call in the box and looked back at the ref going, hey, what happened when play continued because nobody touched you? We could be mad at Portland for playing rough, but we can be extremely mad at Houston for playing like a bunch of ad-lib whatever word you want there. It was quite disgusting the way Elisa Martinez were falling around like a bunch of whiny little babies. Razzies to you. But Bob subbing in Diego Rossi, you kind of had to question, does he really want to go in for the kill? Is this really the right move? But in the 88th, Diego Rossi, there's something about him being in Houston. During the Open Cup, last time LAFC was at BBVA Compass Stadium, Rossi had a hat trick. But this time, with limited playing time, he scored another goal. Dio connects with Josh Perez. Josh Perez connects with Diego Rossi. Boom! 3-1. to one. Rossi extends his scoring streak at BBVA Compass Stadium. <laughs> and what I love about that was the dichotomy that we got just six minutes earlier. You had Albert Elise on a beautiful through ball in the box, Header saved by Tyler Miller diving to his left. And you have this guy, Albert Elise, six foot four, maybe 185, 190 pounds, which is kind of big for a soccer player, but I outweigh him. So I'm kind of big for a not soccer player. You had Diego Rossi, who, I don't know, what is Diego Rossi? Five, 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 six, maybe. He's 145 pounds. And you see, Albert Elise has all these physical tools and gifts. And Diego Rossi, he's the one that gets the job done time after time after time. Not to say that Diego Rossi isn't physically gifted with a soccer ball on his foot, but if you lined up Albert Elise and Diego Rossi in a game for, I don't know, kickball or flag football or... Boxing. uh, Boxing, sure. 
I'm pretty sure people are taking Albert Elise 99 times out of 100 unless you find out that that man who is well under six feet tall is Diego Rossi. What? Another great job there by Diego Rossi. I believe, Philly, that's his 11th of the season now. I don't know how many teams have two double-digit goal scorers in their ranks. Oh, wait, I do know how many teams have two double-digit goal scorers in their ranks. Just one. And that is your LAFC black and gold, Diego Rossi with 11. And, of course, Carlos Vela leading the MLS with 19 goals. And then, Philly, that beeping sound you heard backing up towards BBVA Stadium, that was Eddie Segura coming in for Josh Perez because one of the few times that we've seen it all season from LAFC, there was a bus being parked at BBVA. Yeah, and that changed the strategy. Obviously, we were looking just to not have Houston get behind our back line, but we were still somewhat offensive. We still pressed a little bit, and I love that about this team. Even though Eddie Segura was there, most teams at 3-1 to one in the 88th minute would have thrown everybody back there, but they still kind of kept pressing. Not kind of. They did keep pressing. But that's pretty much how the game ended. What I want to do, though, is give a shout-out to Josh Perez. He had an opportunity again in which he could have scored a goal, but unfortunately, it was blocked by Willis. He showed some flashes of brilliance. And this young man, you know, hats off to him. I would say this is probably his best game in his young MLS career. What would you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right. First of all, almost able to get through the full 90 for one of the very few times for the black and gold, which would have been great. Pressing forward, doing a lot with his opportunities. There were a couple of balls that I thought, okay, he might have been a little cleaner with, but I think we're splitting hairs there. I absolutely love Josh Perez. And again, look, if you Google Josh Perez, at one point in his career, he was actually ranked and rated higher than Christian Pulisic coming up through the ranks of the U.S. national team. A lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget how talented this kid was, and I don't know what happened to him. But again, this is another reason why I love our front office, the scouting, the redemption project that is Josh Perez. He has been absolutely fantastic in the times that we've given him a shot. I was just hoping and wishing that this kid would finally get his first goal. Again, so happy with the way that Josh Perez played in this game. Philly, let's do a little breakdown here of the final stats. Possession, pretty much even. We had LAFC at 51% and Houston at 49 What about the foul situation? Foul situation, although not quite as chippy as the 32 we saw in the game against Portland. Houston dominated that category with 11 fouls to LAFC's six. The stat line where we are the most concerned about, something that LAFC did not do in their last matchup, was shots on goal. Houston had 13 with five on target. Tyler Miller had four saves. LAFC had 14 shots on goal with eight on target. Last game, we had one. Yes, one shot on target, and even that, was questionable. And that wasn't until the 86th minute. Oh my God, we were begging and hoping to get some more shots out there. We had one play this game where we had three shots taken, including the final one, which was by Lee Wynn, that I believe was on goal. So at least when that opening possession happened, where we got those three shots, I really felt like, all right, at least we got the message. We're going to shoot. We're going to shoot. We're going to shoot. And we did. Look, very happy with 14 shots. Very happy with eight on target. It's the quality of the shots versus the quantity. You know, Houston led us in corner kicks 4-2, and we led in offsides 4-3. But really, I got to tell you, Philly, you and I both talked about this. It was a huge sigh of relief with this starting 11 out there. If you would have told us after the first 40 or, heck, even 45 minutes of this game that we would escape, escape. I'm using escape for a game that we won by two goals. If we would escape with a 3-1 victory, I would have told you no way. By the way, we're recording this right now while watching the, I believe they call it the California Classico, and Chris Wondolowski just barely put one over the crossbar. Of course, we are definitely rooting for the Smurfs today as they are taking on Carson in Carson, and Wando should have had what would have been like, I don't know, his 154th goal or something like that. 
in an MLS uniform. We're in about the 48th or 49th minute here of the Galaxy San Jose game. And it took everything that Philly had, by the way, not to scream for Wando, not putting that one in the back of the net. Look, that ends our match recap. But how good do we feel right now coming out of this game with a win? I thought for sure if we could somehow manage three points out of these three road games that we were playing. Of course, we're talking about the road game at Sporting Kansas City, which we won 5-1. to one. And we're talking about the road game at Colorado, which we lost one nothing. And this game here, with all the games that we had to play over these last 15 days, five games in 15 days, I thought if we can get three points, just a tie each, average a point a game on the road and do some work at home, I thought we'd be fine. Well, we wound up winning, Philly, two out of three of those road games. Of course, we didn't look great against Colorado, but that's become a bit of a throwaway game now. We've got our MLS game face back on, and there we sit at the top of the standings. This is before Carson obviously has finished their game for game number 20 on the season. We are looking right now at a plus 36 goal differential. That is a higher goal differential than any other teams in the Western Conference even have points right now. Carson sitting on 34. We are 12 points clear of them. Of course, Carson wins, and this result holds out. They're up one nothing. We'll be nine points clear with an even number of games played. And here's what I love. We are down to just 14 games played, and here we are, 14 games left. We have a three-win lead on Carson up nine points if this result holds. If somehow San Jose battles back for a tie, we'll be up 11. We'll see how that goes in just a second. I am loving our position right now, both in the West and for the Supporter Shield. I said this earlier. There's no such thing as losses in life, only learning experiences. And that's if you capitalize on them. Because what is the definition of insanity? Repeating the same behavior and expecting... A different result. Yeah. So we clearly learn from this. And I feel like every once in a while, we need to get a bit of the, uh, how's your father, in order to capitalize <laughs> and go forward and start dominating things. Look, our kryptonite has been lousy teams. We lost to Vancouver. Lousy. We lost to Colorado. Lousy. Portland. Even though they've gotten better. Lousy. Blech. And you'd think that a team that is a nose hair shy of the playoff line would be another bit of kryptonite. But thankfully, we won us winning a game in which... Many fans threw away as, a, all right, I'll take the loss or I'll take the tie. We win, and I'll take that as our wait what, what moment of the game. Now, we're done we had, with this. We had two wait what moments today. Yeah, we did. We're done with this. Our next matchup, and, LAFC. And anything major? Oh, yeah. Oh. LAFC heads downstate to pay a visit to the newly named Dignity Health Sports Park, the home of the team that repeatedly reminds us that they've been around since 1996, Blech. the Carson Galaxy. I would like to share something personal. I am a pretty open book about my personal life on this podcast, and I have no shame in sharing some of the stories with all of you who listen out there. The last time... We were down there, meaning our club and me and Panda. She got verbally harassed by some nitwit Galaxy fan. It was ugly. Rather than fight, Panda refrained me and my friend Oscar from making a scene. She had the wherewithal to say that we were wearing LAFC jerseys and we have to represent the club well, despite the fact that this dude not only was he rude to my wife, but he was rude to women in general. I'm not going to repeat what he said. It was so bad that now she doesn't feel comfortable stepping foot into the stadium, and unfortunately, she will not be joining me this Friday. For those of you who don't know, I love Panda dearly. I hate doing things or going to events without her. She is my best friend. And of course, Scarf and Scarfette are. Yay. But it pisses me off to no end that my wife became a target to some <laughs> Galaxy fan. For that reason alone, I hope that we invade Carson and take no prisoners. I hope we slaughter this team and make them wish that they were playing back at the Rose Bowl. Next Friday, July 19th, 
we head down south to take over Carson and rename Dignity Health Sports Park to LAFC Practice Ground Southwest or Bank of California 2.0. You can decide what name it is. Either way, we take that place by storm and we make it our sports park. My blood is already boiling and I think I need to calm down before I put my freaking head through a wall. Uh, yeah, so if you guys have ever watched Bob Bradley coach from the sidelines, he gets this vein on the right side of his head that looks like it's about to burst in about seven different spots. That was a moment with Philly. I love my wife, and I was only trying to, uh, I guess, I, I fell back into that moment. I'm sorry that I might have had a, uh, a left turn to Albuquerque moment on that one. Hashtag Bugs Bunny. I just want to see us go in and win. You said it on our last podcast, Scarf. What's really important for the rest of the season is that we go in and we beat Carson these next two times. Yeah. And we go through and win the MLS Cup. Everything else, I don't care. Supporter Shield, while that could be great, who cares? To me, as long as we beat Carson, as long as we win the MLS Cup, it's all good. And at some point... When our team maybe isn't going to be strong 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, as long as we beat Carson, I'm sure we'd be fine with mediocre seasons. Yeah, look, it's one of those things like we talk about it sometimes with Amy, our resident Auburn football fan, that even though <laughs> Auburn Roll could tide. be four and seven through the season, it's that one game they circle <sighs> against the Alabama Crimson Tide, where even if you're four and seven, if one of your four is a win over the Alabama Crimson Tide, sure, that's a good season for you. Uh, we are not at all at that point obviously with LAFC and this rivalry with Carson, but I can't wait until one week from today when we can finally say we have a victory over the team from down south, the Carson Galaxy. Yeah, look, they've got a lot of history since 96. They've won a few championships. They've got a lot of the big-name players. But you know what? The MLS isn't about that anymore. It's about who can put the best team on the field, who has the best fans in the stands, who makes it the best experience, and who plays the best when it matters most. And for most of this season, it has looked like that is our mantle to claim the black and gold of LAFC. I firmly believe that we are going to take it, and we are going to take it well. I am predicting a 4-2 to two victory in Carson hmm. against our rivals, the Galaxy, and I am talking about a Carlos Vela brace. That's two goals. I am talking about Adama Diamande picking up both a yellow card and a brace <laughs> in the game. So all four goals coming from our frontline spots, two for Dio, two for Vela, also a yellow. Heck, Walker or Mark Anthony K might even get into the mix with a yellow card as well. I can't wait for this game. And look, I'll give you a little bit of insight into how I feel about the Carson LAFC rivalry. I think it is the best thing to come along in LA sports in the history of LA sports in terms of a rivalry. Here's what I mean. When I tell you that the Lakers have no rival and someone from the background pipes in, but what about the Clippers? I turn around and I go, please tell me all about that great historic rivalry between the Lakers and the Clippers. Look, if you want to say that 2019-2020, this basketball season, is going to be a great season for the Lakers and the Clippers rivalry, sure. I will also tell you it'll be the first season of a true Lakers-Clippers rivalry. Dodgers, I'm sorry. That is not a Los Angeles team in Anaheim. They want to be part of Los Angeles so bad they had to put it in their name and manufacture some gear that said Los Angeles on it. Let's talk about football. The Raiders-Rams rivalry was fantastic, but that hasn't been a thing since 1994. So that's not a thing anymore. Hockey, we have the Kings. We don't really care about the Ducks. So you tell me right now, in Los Angeles, what is a better rivalry then LAFC and Carson, even though we have to travel out of Los Angeles City and go down to the very, very depths of LA County into Carson, it is the best thing to happen in the Los Angeles sports scene in the last, I don't know, 50 years or so. I am so excited to be part of something that is so special. I actually enjoy the Carson LAFC games because we need that true rival. We need the MLS to be showcased here in Los Angeles just to prove how much more incredible the fan base, the team, the stadium, the atmosphere, everything around LAFC is compared to the team down in Carson. Look, they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Philly, you and I were talking about this earlier. Next year, 
at Dignity Health Sports Park or whatever fly-by-night corporation decides <laughs> to rent the name of it for the next 16 weeks. Next year, they're going to have safe standing at Dignity Health Sports Park. Well, here's my thing. Since 96, what were you guys doing? Since 2017, when Bank of California Stadium was being built, we planned safe standing from the very start. What were you guys doing for the first 21, 22 years? Oh, yeah, that's right. Sitting on your laurels, taking a look at those five championships and relishing the past. Well, like we've said twice on this podcast today, live in the now and the now is knocking on your door in seven days ready to kick it through i cannot wait for the game at carson you know you talk about a vein about to pop in my face you should see scarf right now he's about as red as that bag of kit kats that's sitting on the counter over there we're clearly passionate about this. The, the safe standing thing is interesting because if we learned anything in terms of the history of football is that in 1989, the Hillsborough disaster created safe standing within the, uh, the Premier League and throughout England. Why did it take this long? Since 96 for them, for Carson, to go ahead and do this? Uh, whatever. We're clearly impassioned about this. We're watching this game, meaning... Carson playing San Jose. We're kind of hoping San Jose comes through with a goal, but we're not going to take any more of your time. I can't wait for the matchup next week. I know Scarf can't wait for the matchup next week. Let's talk about goal! Okay. Uh, oh, San Jose just I, scored. I, we were going to try to wrap up this we, podcast. We were going to we try to wrap it up. But if you know anything about me, and I've said this on several of our podcasts, there is one player for San Jose that I hate more than anything in the world. That is Vaco. I can't stand Vaco. Really don't like Vaco until right now. Vaco just scored for San Jose. Take it's those points off the table for the oh, Galaxy. Beautiful ball right from the top of the box. It's almost like we're recording this live. A great try there by David Bingham. Oh, wait, he wasn't even close to the ball. What a great goal there by Vaco. I don't like Vaco, but I like him right now. It is one-to-one in the 62nd minute right now for San Jose. We were going to try to segue out of this podcast, but that's not going to happen. But what we would like to see happen, by the way, is for all of you guys, if you can, to come out to Tyler Miller's event again this Sunday on the 14th. It is for a great cause, the Austin Everett Foundation, to raise money for childhood cancer in Santa Monica. Please come out. Look, this is what I love about Defenders of the Bank. Whether you're in a supporters group or you're not, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you've seen games for LAFC on TV or you've never missed a game there in the stands, we are all Defenders of the Bank, and I can't think of a better way to support our team and to remain a defender of the bank than to go out and try and kick childhood cancer by supporting the Austin Everett Foundation there with Tyler Miller in Santa Monica. We hope to see all of you guys there this Sunday, but especially to see all of you next Friday as we make, like you said, Philly, Dignity Health Sports Park, Bank of California South, or the LAFC Training Ground South, whatever it is you want to call it, Cannot wait until that game. But in the meantime, we'll see you all Sunday. And you guys know how we like to end our podcast. Bye-bye.